Maker's Compass Podcast. This is Dustin joined by Christian. We have another great guest for this episode. Very excited. Christian, give us an introduction. All right, I'm really excited about this one because this is one of my super good friends. Super good. <laughs> I don't really know how to respond to that. <laughs> First of all, because I think super friends is probably trademarked, so we probably can't actually use that. Well, Just cut it. What about Insta friends? Insta friends. Uh, <laughs> well, we didn't meet on Instagram. No, you'd be immediate friends and that's what calls it insta friends nothing to do with any social media this dictionary slash philosopher is in fact the incredibly talented writer slash director slash production designer slash (laughs) everything just amazing all around human being mr aaron mager all right welcome aaron glad that you are finally on the show i know we have well i think we've both talked to you about this probably going back a year now or something like <laughs> at that. least sorry i'm <laughs> sporadic well we're very so, excited to have you here um i know christian actually well he's told me a bunch of stories you've told me a bunch of stories we probably won't get to all of them on this episode i do hope that uh you have some fun stuff thanks for having me <laughs> aaron and i originally met like oh i would say oh, eight years ago now yeah it was a crazy long time there's a funny story about that he was <laughs> He was, uh, he wasn't even living in LA at the time. He was out here for a filmmaking workshop. I showed up at the same workshop. I roll in like, yeah, good. I, I kind of want to tell the story. Uh, all right, all right. You can take this one. Uh, <laughs> take it away. All right. So like, I'm late half the time anyways, but for this, I was like super serious about it. Like I had my business suit set up, like, oh, business casual. And I was really serious about this. And the first time I went to LA for, I think it's a film school yeah. weekend workshop. It wasn't that big of a deal at the time. It was still kind of important and whatnot. And I was taking it really seriously. And you know, like when you're on time, not when you're late, but when you're on time for something, and then the person that shows up late is looking at you like, this is high. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, he's a crap. They don't, they don't care about anyone. <laughs> so anyways, we're like, we're, we're like in the midway through whatever's going on. And then Christian just barges into the room. We all stop like, and not just like secretly, <laughs> politely like, like sitting in the back, he like barges in. Sorry, I'm late. Just traffic. <laughs> Starts going on this whole speed. Like stops everyone ever to stop and turn around and look at this guy. And I'm just judging this man. Yeah, and I that doesn't I, seem like you. You think, seem like you're very prone. He's like, wow, I, I hate this dude. Well, you know, normally I am, but you got to come San Diego to LA during rush hour on mm. Friday. Yeah, it's impossible to be prone. So I got in. I was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And apparently, boy, that just—I was secretly judging this man so hardcore. (laughs) And then cut to that night, like everyone has to share a you know a dorm room essentially with someone else. And of course, it's this lady-sized bitch (laughs) wearing a Star Wars T-shirt. And so I was like, "Oh, great, that's my roommate." And then we started hitting it off, and we're basically like business partners. Were you guys both late the next morning? No, no, no. Um, But like, yeah, we just. After that, after that first terrible bad impression, that was more on me than him. Um, we were really no, no. I, I made the bad impression. Yeah, I know, like but like I you. totally automatically put you on the shit list. <laughs> and what's funny is, true story. Some of my best friends, when I first met them, I did not like them at all for whatever reason. <laughs> when I was in the navy, this guy he showed up, couldn't just didn't like him. You know, like sometimes you just get a, a bad vibe yeah, or yeah. a like bad impression. Or yeah, their stupid face or good nose <laughs> and their yeah. eyeball, whatever. Same thing. <laughs> and like my best buddy in the Navy, at least when I was on shift, same deal. I didn't like him and we just hit it off. We're working together. Some great buddy. So cool. <laughs> Funny. And well, so since that point, not only we've been friends, we've worked together on a number of projects. Some of them are awesome. Keep listening. 
until it's like production is finished. <laughs> Almost there, I swear. Cut four. We met. You were still living in Illinois. I was still in film school. Where in Illinois? Yeah, Southern Illinois, going to SIU, Southern Illinois University. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have a little film program. So I was studying there, and then industrial design and creative writing was one of them. Basically, all the stuff I was interested in, I was studying. And I remember, obviously, you, you know, we talked when we left the, the workshop, you're like, okay, yeah, we'll someone will be back in LA, hopefully. And it actually blew my mind with how quickly you did get back. It was like literally months LA. later. Yeah. Because like, I was planning on this is, well, this will be my last year in college, and then you know, maybe I'll see you next summer. Yeah. And then it was literally months, some just November. Like, when was the workshop? In July or June or something? Yeah. Actually, no, I do remember it. It was right before school started. So it was like August. Like August or whatever. End of July, August. Like and so what's fun about that is some of my buddies were out of film school and here in LA or working. And what was kind of fun and cool was I remember having breakfast in Burbank on Monday when I was supposed to be at work back in Carbondale or like the <laughs> video photography group for University House. So anyways, instead of taking, doing the first day of classes and working, yeah. I was having breakfast with my buddies in LA and Burbank or whatever. And I thought that was really awesome. That's <laughs> You were lucky enough that a big feature was shooting essentially down the street from SIU. You got on board as a PA, right? Because that, that's what led to you coming sure. out here. You got to witness a true master at work. Yeah, literally. Absolutely. I remember it was over that summer I heard rumors of a David Fincher movie that was going to be shooting in Missouri. Maybe you, audience, you may or may not have heard of David Fincher before. He and, made a couple <laughs> movies. And so Carbondale, Illinois, Southern Illinois, it's not too far away from Cape Girardeau and that part of southern Missouri, which they were going to be shooting. And I remember hearing about it, like, well, that's awesome, but I didn't have any cards back then. I was just looking at, like, wishful thinking. Like, yeah. It would be awesome to work on it. I don't know how, but it would be really cool. Yeah. One of my good friends in film school, he got on with an art, and Jack Hyatt and myself, we just basically worked on a bunch of, basically every student film and personal film project we could ever get going on, yeah. we worked together back in and he wasn't even in film school. He was a grad student at like MassCom or whatever. <laughs> um, but like I cast him as a sheriff in a Western outfit and all these other projects. So anyway, they're still, where'd you that? Northern uh, Red Creek. Let's check that out. It's very ambitious. For right out of like film 101, it's, it's great. Nice. By that standard alone. Yeah. Uh, um, it's very ambitious. And like we learned a lot, you know, from a broad standpoint, definitely like student film. You know, that you learn a lot on. So that had a lot of value. But anyway, so Jack and I worked on all kinds of different projects together. So we were a really good, you know, very good terms. He got on and he hit me up. He's like, hey, one of my buddies, he's in town. Let's go get drinks. And it was one of those times where it was, you need to go get drinks. Okay. Just like, you need to go to this meeting. You need this person. Like, it's definitely one of those times. So we went to like uh, the cellar. It's like a local bar. It's like the grad school bar that both of us went to college. Plug for the cellar. They have the best um, Bloody Marys. I mean, I'm not a huge Bloody Mary guy, but like people who are into the Marys swear by them. You know? <laughs> so if you're in Carbondale, go to the cellar. So we met there, the production office secretary, really cool dude. And Dad's like, well, just off of meetings and what Jack says, you're at the top of the stack as far as like resumes for doing things. Dude. You know? So that was pretty cool. But there were no open positions. And I was like, oh, that'd be so cool. I get on. But so school started and it kind of just happened. So they were in pre-production in Missouri. Yeah. As Jack was able to pop in on the weekends and just sort of yeah. figure it out. Because art department always has, with art, it's always front-loaded their work. Like a lot of do a lot of prep work. And then once they're shooting and near the end of the movie, you get to hang out. It's, I mean, you still got work to do, but it's not as severe as, I don't know how expanded this story is. Am I going yeah, too I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I didn't even know about the Great Bloody Mary thing. Oh. I did. That's, you talk to your friend. All right, so. And so, through networking, you met a connection who was actually on the shoot. 
you were at the top of the list, but what did it take for you to actually get on set? I mean, so you I, had never worked on a feature film before. I worked on one indie film, and it shot in California. I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's actually a pretty good thriller. It was unpaid. It's so like so what did it take oh, for you sorry. to get on this feature film? <laughs> so, You're um, leaving us all in suspense. All right, so I remember I hit up Jack weeks later. I was like, hey, man, what do you think? He's like, ah, I saw your film. Probably not going to work out. I'm like, oh, thanks, bro. You know, I'll help you out. And I think back to my sad shop in Pine Ridge, Illinois. I remember schlepping in with Guilty. And um, I get a next morning about to go to sleep and whatnot, and I get a, a text from Jack. Like it's like six in the morning, I get this call. It's like, dude, <laughs> all right, the production coordinator is going to call you, and she, you answer it, say yes. Can you do this? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. Doesn't matter what it is, just say yes. Yeah. Figure it out later. Like, oh, okay. I'm like getting all excited. It's like, all right, get the call, and it's like, can you do this? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. Can you be here today? I was like, oh, I can be there tomorrow morning. You know. And she was cool with that. So I was Ooh, able to, lucky. looking back, I probably should have just said yes. Um, but <laughs> I took the risk of the conversation with Jack. So basically, I talked to my professor, just, you know, so it would be a little different than just like Donnie. So I went and talked to everyone, and they were super cool. Yeah, I just cool would have sent supportive. them an email that said, sorry, I blew the out phone. Bye. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I quit my job and dropped out of school, packed up all my stuff in my truck, and drove down to Cape Girardeau and started working on the film. What? That's like a oh, life-changing... Spoiler, that was the feature film, because you never actually mentioned what it was. Oh, yeah. Gone yeah. Girl. Well, I mean, it's David Fincher movie, and, you know, that's the last <laughs> thing you may want. We get it. We get it. That's kind of a ballsy move. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, it's really cool. Did you, like, have... It Was it, like, a defining moment? Like, did you know this was the thing? Oh, yeah. And what was so cool about it is I was literally driving there, and Tom Petty's song, Heartbreakers company the heartbreaker song came on running down a dream came on the radio <laughs> and i'm listening to it i'm like my mind is blown because it's literally exactly what i'm doing like yeah. if you were to cue up the music and the lyrics it's like point by point it just i was like what so, <laughs> so that was a really cool experience so, just yeah that song awesome. cue up like that when, now i remember you telling the stories that you work in the camera department so were yes. you working camera and production just kind of bouncing back so and forth i started in production so i was the office pa yeah little office office PA um, and I hated it like I you know I've never really worked in an office before mm-hmm. and I learned very quickly this sucks. I mean I'm not to put poo-poo on it like no that's just great. not your thing just for me personally like I like to be you know running around working with my hands being outside sure. and all this whatnot that's why art and camera are more kind of my thing yeah um, so anyways I was there and then within a week um, I was able to switch over to camera and the only reason it was just like it's just like a lot in life it's not like you just have to be at the right place at the right time and be willing to jump. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. I had the connection. I was willing to jump on to Gone Girl because I didn't know how long that would be, but it was worth dropping sure. out for, you know. Like, you're going to school. You're going to film school to get on movies. Well, here it is. Like, no, there was no, like, person saying, you need to do this. It's just, shit, I guess I need to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're literally, like... You know, oh no, I gotta finish film school first, then yeah. I'll do it. You're yeah, like, no, go right now. I like, mean, this if, is the moment. If you're gonna take away anything from this, just be bold, go for it. I like that. Um, like, there's two different times in, in high school football, I remember thinking. Um, I took the safe route, I didn't, I just jumped on the ball, and I literally could have picked it up and ran with it. Literally, let alone figuratively. And I could have made Good it metaphor. a full on touchdown. I like it. And there's another time I got an interception, the coach was freaking out, yelling at me, because I was just on defense. And I was a linebacker, defensive end. And I made the interception. He was screaming, you know, go out of bounds, whatever. And, like, looking back, I totally should have done that. So, okay, totally you could have done it, dude. It. Now, it's one thing working on a movie 
that's in the middle of nowhere and you're mm -hmm. around. Yeah. How did you manage to leverage your experience on Gone Girl into coming out to LA? All right, so I was in I was an office PA, and while I was there, I remember the secretary told me like, always be aware of what's going on because it's good yeah. practice. So I heard secretary, the coordinator heard on the, I heard her talking on the phone. They needed an additional camera assistant. Okay. So I just turned around and like raised my hand. Yeah. And that led to basically they needed one more body. And I was just perfect, right place, right time. Because it was God. I was able to do the interview. He was AC, first AC was really chill about it. And then I became the cameraman. That's awesome. And that's how I got on set. And that was when you were, you were actually through. standing next, next to Christian at times, yeah. right? Day, day one. Because I remember you told me, you're like, no, dude, like I was looking into making you like smoking and stuff like that. Oh yeah, like I was right there next to the camera and everything. That's that's, awesome. that's the beauty of the camera department. Like you're in the action right next to everything, especially AC. AC. And it went. I mean, from, were you like super nervous? Oh, so super nervous. In yeah, fact, like my you're... my first impression in front of everyone on set was like kind of funny and embarrassing. Well, so, now you gotta tell us. So you know, when you start off, you're totally clueless. And what's funny is in college, I was like the go-to guy. Like I was the seasoned veteran yeah. filmmaker that knew how to do everything. And it was polar opposite once I was on a real set. Yeah. Not just a yeah. set, a big boy, big Hollywood movie yeah. set. Yeah, yeah. So I'm there. He told me which batteries were which, like the DCLX batteries, the Anton Bauer batteries, and the Brick batteries. Like, there's like a million batteries for every little component on a camera <laughs> system. Yeah. I remember asking him during the interview, how will I know if it's a, a running situation versus just a walking situation? And he's, I'll let you know. So on the radio, he's like, Aaron, we need an Anton Bauer battery for this running situation. <gasps> <laughs> track star Aaron. so and i literally used to be in track so like uh, so i like first of all never run on set unless it's like an emergency never run on set even if it's like this you could walk very briskly um it's unsafe and unprofessional thank um, you osha yeah um like like, <laughs> like literally if it's like unless it's a safety issue don't run um and i was sprinting <laughs> i was full out balls out sprinting to the, the camera van and then i jumped in there like because it's my first day and thankfully I grabbed the right battery and so I'm literally I have this That's battery luck. and I'm sprinting back to set and over the radio because like, he meant to like run go very quickly but not to sprint balls out so I'm like sprinting with the battery in my mouth and by the time I hear and register what he says like everyone can see me sprinting to set everyone's just looking at me and so in one second have you ever like went from a full sprint to a full walk yeah well, that's what I tried to do <laughs> So I went from full sprinting to walking in one motion, and I'm like breathing through my nose like, <laughs> <laughs> in front of everyone as I try to calmly, like no one saw me running earlier. Here's that battery. Calmly returning the battery. So that was my first impression in front of everyone. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. My favorite story is can you tell the one about this might be number one? <laughs> there are multiple ones. I only know the one with, with you uh, wrapping up and having beer. And um, he's like, I don't think I can tell that. I f I'm trying to remember it. I forgot that one. <laughs> Whoa! Okay. I, I vaguely remember the story as I remember it was this: this is back once you were in LA. They've been wrapping up the shoot, yeah. And they're like, "Aaron, go in the back with the booze." So you and the rest of your burly crewmen were out there gathering a bunch of beer to take yeah. to the crew guy. And, and Roseman Pike, yeah, you know this gorgeous, classy British She's actress, le legit Bond girl, walks. Yeah, she is walks into the same trailer as you, and she's like looking for like some champagne or something. Because she just like wrapped her final yeah. take. <laughs> and the way Aaron told it to me was Aaron just, Aaron being Aaron, this hairy, manly, crew PA, just 
she's like, oh, is there like any champagne or anything? And Aaron just whips around all his beer and is like, I got some of these. And you said she just gave you the most like disgusted slash horrified look that anyone had ever demonstrated in the history of the world. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, maybe I tried to yeah. knock that one out. But I know it's like, I have like a self-coping mechanism, like all embarrassing things I've done. <laughs> My brain auto-blocks. But yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, there's many more embarrassing stories, but that's thankfully you remember that. One. Oh, trust me, I'm not letting that one yeah. go. Don't worry. Yeah. There's only three <laughs> people that listen it, to this and podcast, then you're like, so. I, I put it out there, it's yeah. gone. I don't want to. I don't want to remember that. Uh, you were saying though, how you got to LA? Oh, right. So they already had a dedicated camera PA on standby, waiting for when they were going to do the LA in portion LA. of the shoot, because they did all the Missouri location stuff in Missouri, of course, and then all stage work and all a few other random exteriors they're going to shoot in LA. Mm-hmm. So more months of shooting here in LA. I was like, man, this is my life. It's gonna be hard. I'm gonna suck. Talk to the first AC about it. He's like, well, let me talk to the EGM and whatnot. And from that, because they, they liked me, and they're basically like, well, this is on like a Thursday or a Friday. They're like, if you're, <laughs> if you're there Monday morning, you got the job. I'm like, damn. So, so you're telling me that get your car, like, you made the decision stuff. to move across country literally on like yeah. two days. So it was like a super rush move, because like, yeah, I drove down to Cape Girardeau from Carbondale to work on this, but I was staying in a bit of bed and breakfast. <laughs> right, yeah, you're you like, know? Yeah. And so I literally had to go back to Carbondale and do like a super rush move. And then I flew out, for, I think I flew out Saturday or Sunday, Monday morning. Like I literally rented a car, couch surfing. And you're like, I'm making movies. Yeah, and then show awesome. up Monday morning. It was so also bananas because like it was five o'clock in the morning in Hollywood on a Hollywood movie. Like it was like not just in LA, but in Hollywood. First movie ever worked on that's and it's awesome. a David Fincher movie in Hollywood so that's that a was legendary that's pretty story. Story. it was yeah, so like, cool so after after Gone Girl um, how how did you keep getting work alright so here's the thing so normally you move out gradually slog through the terrible stuff and then you work your way up to bigger better projects right I did kind of an inverse of it yeah so, no one does it like the way you do correct. it correct yeah. <laughs> so I got super lucky and I was on it and like I remember when Gone Girl was wrapping up someone come up to me and they were like hey so what are you doing after this and i was just so chill and confident it's like well you know jeff's dp he's like yeah he's he said he's gonna be able to get you on some stuff like i wasn't nervous at all it's like they knew something that i didn't and then i found out what so gone girl wraps and yeah bless his heart jeff was so helpful he's the sweetest nicest professional dp i've ever worked with just a pleasure to work and he was able to get me on you know a few commercial jobs here and there but you know like that's on his call and when he's busy unless he's on a job in Spain or whatever. So anyways, yeah, that was super helpful. But the thing is, all these other guys, they're working on other big budget movie shows and they don't need a camera PA because normally... It's a David Fincher thing. Exactly, because like officially, (laughs) like they they kind of poo-poo on that because I was super fortunate because we were just there at the time when it all worked out. But normally, you don't have a camera PA. It's just you and the ACs and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. the, the trick is all these connections I had were all in union shows in unions, right? Working in unions. You're in the union, yeah. So I was a little SOL there. So after Gone Girl, that's when it started to suck. You know, working yeah. basically random free or part time gigs for minimum wage in LA. So not only are you making minimum wage, but you're kind of working, right? And <laughs> yeah, like the cost yeah. of living is way higher. Oh, it's, it's yeah. awful. And it's all um, generally minimum wage jobs, and they're all part time. And you don't even know when your next one is. Now, now I, I know you told me kind of during this period you were working in the movie a little bit stuff 
Had you started working in art at this time? Yeah. Going from job to job in LA. Similar to college, like I'm just a journalist by nature, like I've kind of all over the place, if you've ever seen me. Mm-hmm. So basically jumping on whatever AC jobs that I would get, and then there was a few art jobs that I would get. I remember at the time, looking back, I could have gotten a job as an assistant at a camera house. And at the time, it was um, one of the ACs I worked with, he's like, this is below you. With your connections, you don't need to do that. So I took that part, but didn't take that job. In fact, I applied to a camera house, and like I literally met Mr. Tesla, like Tesla camera. Like what? I, I literally met Kef- Mr. Tesla when Jeff was prepping for that on a like a Mercedes wow. job or something. Really? And so the opposite of start, and it was funny. Like, oh, you should talk to so and so, and I talked to him. Like, oh, you talk to so and so. Like, I did a reverse of the chain of command. So it finally worked down to. <laughs> you know, the secretary and the person taking application. Theory is, I didn't go past the second interview or whatever, but my theory is, like, well, if he's doing enough freelance work, he's not going to stick around long, so we're not going to hire him. Because that's, that's happened. So, because yeah. you don't want to hire someone and then, you know, they exactly. work for two months and then they're like, yeah, you're on bigger and better jobs. Now, one of the connections you got actually scored you a pretty sweet opportunity to travel to a couple different <laughs> countries on feature films. Yeah. With the same production crew. Was that just sort of a luck of the draw thing? Was that just building a network? And then, because what, you did three international films through them? And where did you go? No, I did. Well, I did, I've done three international ones. Two was for art as a production designer. And then one was the, as the first AP in camera was just last year. So the two, the first two international jobs, one in Dubai and one in Korea. And it was Whoa. branded content for uh, the Mid Fox. I think I remember when you, you yeah. went. Well, yeah. And one was a travel job in Chicago. So yeah, technically I did three. You know, the whole who you know. So my roommate, he was the first AD of this project, actually. So that was so obviously very helpful. When you move out to LA and you're looking for roommates, yeah. find someone who is like a first AD. Yeah, I mean... Now can I ask you, you had a couple of projects where you had worked internationally. You had a project with David Fincher's name on it. Do you think in any way that actually maybe inhibited your ability to get work early on? Or do you think it helped? I mean, just because obviously like... Well, it's a great, great credit to have anything with like Fincher or Spielberg. Any big, big, you know, definitely helps even if it's just a deal yeah yeah i mean if your contacts are just big boy union contacts it's a little harder to pull off it's like a big gap between yeah it's that huge thing because until you're in the union they officially can't hire you you know yeah because and i i I totally get it now especially after being in the union because you could just hire a bunch of non-union pas so yeah and and let's talk about that you now work in your union not art. That's that's eight hundred. I'm uh, I'm in the property union. So prop master is that deck okay. creator. Okay. 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 Well, that's Sweet. local union forty four. How did you get it? All right. Let's so, break it down like that um, big. So I started working on random art projects, and half the time on these lower budget ones, you need the um, one man team basically, one man army, and you just have to figure it out. Yes. The lower scale ones are the worst ones because they have the least amount of resources, and they're asking for the most. Yeah, they want you to do everything. It's just trial trial by fire Keep you here, makeup. yeah um but it's it's very training you know because you're dealing with these awful you know requests and then you get hopefully not burned too bad but you learn a lot you know you develop those mm-hmm. skills but be careful because you get burned out especially if you're stuck in that role that's when it really sucks it's one thing to work for on it for a little bit but when you're like a 60 year old man working 1500 bucks a day yeah. that's no and i've heard stories about it so from there, you know, ideally it leads to a slightly bigger, better uh, So one way to get into the union is you work on a non-union show that's big enough of a budget that it'll flip. It'll flip. So basically if it's like over a million dollars or whatever, 
So he like brings everybody on board. Basically, the, the thing is like, all right, we're all in agreement. All the crew is you flip this show union or we're not going to work anymore. That's kind of my understanding. Sounds like a union. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and so sometimes that can go both ways. Sometimes production's like, nah, you guys can go. We'll hire. We'll just you know we'll rehire. Oh, no shit. But it's such a big pain in the butt because they only have to pay a little bit for like a full numbers, but usually half the time they budget that in if they know it might flip. They might have that built into the budget, so they have to like just in case it does happen. If it's likely, if it's right on the edge like that, they'll have the money, you know, cooked okay. into the cooked into the cost. Yeah. So they're like, let's just hire. Keep going. So yeah, exactly. Because exactly. exactly. yeah. like you're midway through, you're midway through the river. You might as well keep the same crew and like pay a little more, and then and then you, your union day. Yeah. And so you have to have thirty union days, and then you can pay the money, take the. Is that thirty classes, total or in a month? Thirty total. Okay. You have one year to get all 30 days. And it sucks because I know a guy, awesome, talented guy. He's got like 20 days left in his in his days expire. Damn, he's on the hot seat then. Yeah, it really sucks. Like, I hope I hope he's able to get it done. Like, I've asked and I've tried to get him on. And it hasn't worked for me yeah. anymore. But hopefully, hopefully I can too. Because it, it sucks because it really is designed to be hard to get into. At least for LA. Well, because then it protects the guys in the union. Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah. Perspective. Yeah. Plus, you think? I mean, obviously, we're all Midwest guys. A lot mm. of the people we interview. I mean, a lot of people come here, and I mean, you just have people flooding the the job market. So, <laughs> before we talk about working on union projects, yeah. I remember you told me a story about a film you did in the desert with a little known actor named Dane Shell. <laughs> yeah, and Christopher Lloyd. Yes. What? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. I just remember this was funny. Oh, it's called Senior Moment and it's still not out. And it's awful. Uh, <laughs> awesome. They were awesome. They were great. Um my um, department head, she was awful. Well that that's She's one fine. of the worst human beings I've ever worked with. You story about Shatner. You're on set. Oh, Shatner god. in in front of the grocery store. <laughs> I feel bad telling you a story. I don't want to Shed a lot of time on that. No, this is hilarious. It was a little deserved. No, it no, was a little no, deserved. No, no. Okay, if you pull, pull let, let me preface this. <laughs> they had the clothes set. You know, obviously this is at a grocery store, so people are around it. Um, but they were doing their job, which is trying to keep people from interfering with production because they're shooting a movie. And what happened? All right, so this is in Palm Springs. It's really, really hot. And um, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah it's in the right. desert. And um, so. Bill's out there holding holding the you know prop grocery bags and whatnot. We're filming, we're we're shooting, we're trying to get it, and there's this little lady that walks out. It's like in the shot, and the PA's kind of squirted away, and she wouldn't leave. And she's like, "Oh, Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd Shatner, Lloyd, you're such a big fan." <laughs> and all he said was, "Fuck you, get the hell out of here, <laughs> get out of the shot." <laughs> I remember it's like our first day. We're like, did that just happen? <laughs> But to be fair, like, oh, she funny. she was breaking all the rules and not leaving. Well, and, and they and we were we were supposed to be there. It was locked off, and she was breaking all the rules. No. Just wanted to talk to the. Star. And you had the signs up that were saying, "Hey, don't walk through our set." Yeah, <laughs> and like she's ruining the shot. It's really hot out, and like everyone's trying to get this thing and move on because we have limited time and budget. Right, and she's ruining it, and she's not leaving. So 
with all those. Please it was well deserved. Please don't. You know that's why I even hate telling the story because he was a really great guy. He was always so kind to me and very respectful. What I noticed was if people were unprofessional, you called them out on it. Yeah. I think that's what it was really comes down Sounds to. Sounds fair. You know, well, if, if people were unprepared, been in the industry you know, for how long? Yeah, he's old school. You know, yeah. in the best ways. Were you on time? I was. And yeah. What's funny is like the mess <laughs> I had to deal with. Like I looked at that guy. Um, so it was very painful. This is a non-union show that flipped. So on that lower end schedule, on that on that lower end tier, you have to deal with a lot of BS that you don't have to deal with on bigger. Budget shows. Now that you are in the union, mm-hmm. uh, obviously I know you, you've got the opportunity to work on some really, really cool projects. You did a little bit of time on Tarantino's latest project. Correct. What? Yeah. No way. Well, that's a signed an NDA. Uh, yeah. No, I, well, that's the thing. I well, I'm not, not, not going <laughs> to ask questions about no. it. Chance to actually observe Tarantino work. I wanted to, but no. I mean, obviously I know you guys are there way before the, the rest of production. I, I, uh, I know Prop Master. She was able to work on set for a little bit as long as they played. Um, she did. But yeah, I was in um, set deck. So just one of the set dressers. Um, so yeah, you, you, so as a set dresser and a decorator or a lead man, that's all in under set decoration. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that's, even though technically it is, like officially it's not a part of art department. Really? So I used to say art department. I'm like, dude, you're not in art department. You're in set deck. <laughs> it's so weird when you work on the bigger show. Sounds like you're it's in a really, fraternity, dude. I guess so. Yeah, it's really interesting. So like, you work with set dressers <laughs> that are like in their fifties with like kids and are about ready to retire. It's like a totally different mindset. Well, it's, a, it's a really. You've good also job. had the opportunity to work on one of my favorite shows, and I know you have to be careful what you say because they're still in production. Westworld. Yes. Obviously, getting on a production like that, I think, has got to be everybody's dream. You get all the cool stuff in terms of costumes and props, and you know, there's just cool stuff happening. What was that like? Was it overwhelming? Um, obviously, the production value for the show is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and they, they have the budget to do what they want to do. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat working on the big shows. Like, whoa, this is how the, the big movie, the big folk work. Yeah. Um. So that was really cool. And like, how how long, like, is your your job? Because they only shoot for you know part of the year, right? They don't shoot. Ah, uh, yeah. And I wasn't on for the whole thing, so I was just made there. I wasn't like the core, core crew. No, if you if you're not sure, don't say anything. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I think it's got to be awesome, right? As someone it's working cool. on that side yeah. of, of film, like that's got period aspects. It's really cool. Like I'm a, I'm a sucker for science fiction and western, so I'm so blessed. That's kind to of work the best the of both. Thing. Yeah, it's a pretty cool combo. Yeah, both real professional and then know what they're doing. Can I can I ask you this question? Yes. Obviously, you've been there for the third season. After fires that rolled through, how did that really mess things up in some kind of art set deck side of things? Was that a big, was that a big challenge, or um, did they just do what they do and they just found a way to adapt? I want to get into like details or whatnot, but and if you can't, okay, okay, yeah, they, there's workarounds, there's ways to do stuff. Not a non-issue, I guess. Obviously, we're like, oh, Westworld set burns down, like that's that's not really happening. Yeah, there are parts that got burned up, whatever, but it's not what we're imagining. Like everything in Westworld that that didn't happen. That's good to know. I know I did want to, it's a little uh, change of direction here, but I did want to ask. Um, I know you said your goals are like writing and directing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any projects that you're working on maybe on the side? Or how, how are you kind of pursuing your writing and directing? I do. Yeah, I got a few sidebar to that. Um, I remember when I first started on Gone Girl, one of the, this one I'll still in camera, I guess, Gia. One of the prop assistants, she told me, 
don't even go in there. Really? Yeah, I found it really interesting. She basically said you'll get real comfortable. Ah. You're not going to pursue the pursuit. You know, the whole like stay hungry kind of deal. Sure. And I totally understand the logic. And I think what that really comes down to is most people, once they start making more money, they just start spending more money. Yeah. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. I was watching a thing on George R.R. Martin. He used to do Game of Thrones? Yeah, Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. Of the, the books. He used to do television and whatnot. And then he was tired of, you know, certain pilots or features like, oh, we can't do this. It's too expensive. And this is really short. It's really watered down. Yeah. So, screw it. I'm just going to write this series that I want to write. I want to write. So, when it came time, people were approaching him wanting to adapt it. He could afford to say no because it was too ambitious to make sure. as a huge show. So, like, well, well, we'll make a movie version of it. And we'll cut this out. It's like, no. He said he lived within his means. So he could afford to say no. Huh. I like that. Um, yeah. And so, like, if if you're going to pursue a Hollywood dream, whatever that may be, definitely learn how to live within your means, so you can afford to say no to projects. Because I've experienced this firsthand, where I turned down certain jobs, uh-huh. and I'm so glad I did because that allowed me to work on bigger, better jobs, or to build a passion project, or whatever it may be. Because yeah. I'm I'm so glad I was because like if you're under the gun and in debt and all these things, or you know. You got to take, you got to take. Exactly. And like, I knew an electrician that really talented dude and he easily could have been a gaffer. He, again, I'm not against family. I'm all about having a family. He had like eight kids and all this stuff and, you know, cars and mortgage and whatnot. He couldn't afford to not work. Yeah. He couldn't afford to take lower paying gaffing jobs. He had to take full rate electrician's jobs. So there's nothing, again, nothing wrong with that. But if you want to, if you have, you know, grand something decide what you're doing. Yeah. It's limited. Yeah, and so this, so here's like kind of the rough general rule of thumb. Whatever position you're at right now, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do, no one's just going to hand you the keys to the kingdom. So if you want to step up to that role, usually it's going to be for free or at a lower rate, right? Uh-huh. So wherever you're you're set at, if you want to do that, if you want to be a director, if you want to do this, you want to do that. If you want to do it, if it's unpaid, you have a better chance of being able to do it or very low pay. And again, the more experience you have, the more credits you have, the higher you can command and how much you get paid. Yeah. It's kind of like you got to put in, you got to put in some work, most likely unpaid, just to, it's it's not unpaid, you're, you're getting paid in your credits. Oh, yeah. So then. And it's safe spirit. Yeah. And if it is free, you screw up, who cares? That's true. You know what too. I mean? Like, no matter what you want to do, if you want to be a designer, uh, a DP, director, writer, whatever, if it's unpaid and it's not that good, who cares? It's unpaid. It's a student film for this and for that. So screw up on the free ones so you don't feel bad about it and it's free. So when it is time to get on the paid jobs, like, well, I've already done this before. So you don't have to, the whole fake it till you make it, you've already done it. Yeah. You know, so when I've that already time, screwed this up. So. Exactly. So like, <laughs> we're definitely like, I'm, I got the experience. It's less stressful. So by the time you are getting that nice full rate job, you know, I thought that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit. Obviously, you had a whole life before you decided to kind of go back to school mm-hmm. to get into entertainment. You were in the military. <laughs> I'm always surprised at how many people I do meet who do have military backgrounds and are now working in the industry. I don't know what's going on. The parade? That's what it sounds like. Oh. That's the joys of downtown LA. You never know what you're going to capture on mic. Um, we, by the way, we shot part of Gone Girl right next to you. Really? In the uh, Wait, the alley down there? The library. Oh, the, wow. the last, last bookstore. Yeah. No way. That's Shout when, out. Uh, that's when Amy and Guy? Yeah. When they, the, it was on the call sheet that said celebrate their anniversary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's seen in a 
library. <laughs> that, that was the last book store. Watch the movie. Because that's in the indie recommendation. Yeah. What does that community stand? Are there any reads you can recommend for people Absolutely. who are saying, hey, I <laughs> we should do this, yeah. but I mean, this is my passion. Yeah. How I, I even have like months or emails where that's pretty cool. Like, I mean, as somebody that, you know, not, you know, not from a military family, not in the military, um, I didn't even know that those resources were there. And uh, I assume you can give more detail on this, but succeeding is building things. Yes. Yes. So if you have people and you have groups who can connect you with people and connect you with resources, take advantage of them. Absolutely. I was I thought about this just yesterday. There's been opportunities I've blown bits on um, that I could have like just again picking up the ball and running with it instead of just jumping on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those examples. You know, luck is just when was it hard work and preparation? Yeah, uh, no, whatever that is. Luck there's, is when hard work meets good preparation. Exactly. Just there's a lot of things I could have just hustled harder on earlier on and I knew yeah. that much farther ahead of time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That you know? makes sense. But yeah, the the veterans thing, there's a group called Veterans in Media and Entertainment. It's like their acronym is V N E V N E Connect.org. And it's 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 a it's a thing that helps get you going. You know, they have different programs, different internships. I've signed up and full disclosure, I have no legal expertise on them, but they do exist. And I mean, you're one friend away from having that internship job. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because it's all friend based, network based. Well, I mean, you know, I think we've all had a little bit of experience. I met you through Christian. You know, you're always, yeah. that's and it's how that you meet people. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. But being a good person, being someone you want to hang out with, like, who would you rather work with? You know, some asshole or some person you, like, enjoy spending time you with? You know, uh, Ideally, they're really good at the job, and they're cool. I'm glad yeah, you brought up that because I, there's always this perception outside of media, right? Mm. That all these people are, are divas and some of them are difficult to work with. Some of them absolutely yeah. are. No, no, and that's true. But I think the thing that once you're inside, you realize those people are few and far between because no one wants to work with them, and the ones who are I are wish. really, really good, though. You mean the ones that are assholes? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Y- y- they earn the right. Like <laughs> I wish this part wasn't true, but it is true. Sometimes they're assholes and they're not good, but they're still good at work. Yeah, I don't know how that. Rich uncles, I guess. You could. Um, and I, yeah, I wish they were all great, cool people to work with that were complicated. But not all the. But not all the I, I guess all I'm trying to say before we tumble down the, the diaries of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do bring up a good point, right? If if you work hard and you're good to work with, people will want to work with you again. Yeah, it helps because here's the thing about all jobs. They're all temporary and they're all an interview for the next job. Yeah. So so generally you're not generally, I mean unless it's a real extreme example, um, they won't just outright fire you. Instead, you know, you just won't you won't get called back. (laughs) You won't get any more texts. Mm -hmm. That's kinda what happens. That's like the passive aggressive way of getting fired. They just you don't get called back. Yeah. Um I've definitely burned bridges on accident or unintentionally or other times people have said, oh, Aaron, you're great. You can't blah, blah, blah. You know, all the great compliments and then, you know, radio silence afterwards. And sometimes it's as simple as they'll hit you up a few times and then you're busy and then they just stop hitting you up. So you burn the bridge just by being busy. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a weird, nutty industry. Um, But again, the better you are at your job, whatever that is, the more opportunities you have and the more picky, sure. you know, whereas it can be a higher rate job, more prestige, 
just a better better life. Yeah. I mean, I walked by a low budget shoe coming here, and it was just like, oh, Finley sucks. <laughs> There's nothing romantic about Indie Tone. Is that over by Christian Square? Yeah. Mm, we passed the same one. Yeah. yeah. And like, I, I don't mean to like poo poo them, but like, I've, I've been on them, I worked on them, I've organized them, and they just suck. They're painful. They're. Yeah. yeah see, it's, I, I, it's weird because like when you're looking up at that, yeah. it looks awesome, right? Yeah. That's I mean, why you did it because oh, you're totally. like, hell yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you I'm go to the other side and you get yeah. to look back, you're like, oh, no. How things look at 22 are very different from how they look at 30. One of my friends is a production designer. He's worked with this amazingly talented art director that did what he was able to pull off. He was basically able to build this this custom kayak and fort set in like 1840s like upstate New York. He did all this for under a thousand bucks. Like what? That's insane. Yeah. Um, but the more <laughs> what what I'm getting at is, dude is now in like his 70s and still working on like a shit job, like 100 bucks a day. I'm like, that's not right. He's way too talented to be working at 200 bucks a day. Yeah. Like that's something that's totally fine when you're 22 and not, you know, 62 70. or 70 yeah. or whatever. It's not just being great at your job, like full life decisions. Like I've worked with set dressers that like have three homes, rental properties and all this other stuff. And other folks just got divorced and are like broke. All they have is a car to their name and they crash out of a hotel at a buddy's house and they're like in their mid fifties. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just cause the job pays well doesn't mean it's going to be there forever. And to circle back to what we were talking about earlier with the not joining the union, if you live with the unions, when you start making more money, don't scale up. Keep that cost of living low yeah. so you can make those creative decisions. You can afford to say no to jobs to focus on what you really want to do yeah. at, your, at your capacity you know, what you want to do in life. Right? Dude, no, that's why it's Because once you get locked in with you got a new car, you got a mortgage, you got this, you got that, and you really are stuck. Yeah, you, you have to take a job because you literally cannot afford to do what you really want to do, and then you're in this lot wishing you would have, would have, could have, should have. Yeah, solid. Yeah, that's a good advice. Let's now talk about superlatives. Uh, we? Yeah, movie talk. We were bouncing some ideas back and forth, and obviously you said one of the movies that you love is yeah. Thor Ragnarok. I love. It. Yes. <laughs> now, if you don't like Marvel movies, then you can just hang up. Hey, yeah. podcast. We're done. <laughs> I hope everybody's listening with their phone today. Thor, like as far as Marvel goes, it's one of those movies that really stands out because it. I, I wouldn't describe it as a comedy, and there will be but there's Thor a, there's, spoilers throughout. So there's just so much humor in it. Oh, it's great. That it's the uh, to me that's really the defining characteristic for for that movie that makes it so rewatchable. Oh yeah, it's so fun. Like yeah. I jokingly call it, that's my favorite Star Wars movie of, of, <laughs> that's been recently made. You know, that's awesome. It's it's fun, awesome, and kind of sad for you know reflection of Star Wars. But yeah. that's I mean that's what made Star Wars so great. Uh, the best movie of all time. Um, yeah, Thor it's fun. Yeah, it's just fun, rewatchable, visually amazing. The score is great. Chris Hemsworth is brilliant. It's like a yeah. action Shame comedy. Like he's gonna have such a great, amazing, long career. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Actually, when you can pull off action and comedy like he does, yeah, it's like an incredible combination. I really liked what they did with the character Thor in that movie, which yeah. was, you know, he literally kind of like loses everything. Everything, yeah, yeah. Like you know, first it's his hammer, then it's his hair, then it's his eye, then he loses it's Asgard. Yeah, his dad. Like yeah. they literally like take all of these things from him, and uh, you know, you kind of. I mean, I guess the moral for me was that those 
things don't really define who he is as a character, right? Like his the literal lesson I think Odin tells him in his vision is that like the power was always within you. I love that. What's gonna make you the god of hammers? Yeah, <laughs> such a great line. It is a good line. Yeah, um, right. There's another line that I've been taking on myself is when like I need your help or he's talking to Odin. He's like, I'm on a different path. Yeah, and I remember just personal thing. My sister, she's got two boys, another one on the way, and like they're living the whole married life. And you're like, you even have to know. Yeah. And you always feel like behind the ball and, you know, friends back home. And, whatnot. Life, yeah. and I remember thinking like the choices I've made, the career I chose, I'm on a different path. Yeah. But um, cool. that, that mindset of um, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on my own path or different. And I'll tell you what, I like any Marvel movie with Loki. Yeah. Like he's a great, he's a great character to have in any scene. Mm-hmm. Because you just never know. Like, what, what is he going to do? Yeah, he, he, really finally, he finally goes, I mean, you find out more in Avengers at the beginning of uh, Infinity yeah. War. He, he had a great arc, Thor had a great arc, and what you said earlier, even though he loses everything, like, if anything, like, tragedy with failure, with loss, it really truly reveals what you are made of. Yeah. You know, so despite all that, he still was fighting for himself. Yeah, it was cool. And then, you know, obviously there's a lot of symbolism, you know, as uh, Christian spoiler alert but you know he loses his eye kind of takes over his place as the king of asgard but one of the things that really stood out to me too was that even though like this movie i first of all please tell me you guys enjoyed the score oh Oh, great i've literally played i've just played that on spotify yeah i'll put that on i'm like that's just fun even though like this movie feels very different from thor and dark world Mm -hmm. it is very much the third chapter in that trilogy like it's totally right you almost have like in Thor 1 he essentially be- gets humbled and kind of rejects oh, yeah. the throne yeah like when he doesn't have anything how does he respond to that Grant, temporary but it that makes him a good hero versus a selfish arrogant hero yeah he's essentially an arrogant hero yeah you know he's that you know he's like flipping tables over and he's like another oh, assholes let's go up their asses you know yeah. and you're like what the hell yeah and then but okay so you have the dark world where then I think Thor at the end is like, hey, I could be king, but now I don't want it, right? Yeah. And then you have him actually take up the throne here. But one of the things that really stuck stuck out to me was if you rewatch Thor 1, Odin tells him his actions won't get him where he wants to go. And when you look at Ragnarok and the villain of Hela and how she actually like helped Odin conquer worlds and then he realized like that's not really we shouldn't be doing that Hmm. it makes you it made me realize that like he's trying to tell Thor without telling him hey your sister did this and she's in hell yeah (laughs) so yeah be better yeah you know I know what I'm talking about and it's interesting too because right there's this kind of conversation about the throne through all of Thor movies in the third one really Thor finally learns that lesson that being a leader, it's not about title. It's not about your domain. It's mm-hmm. about being able to sacrifice for the people that you're leading. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that point is very clear to him at the end of the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's pretty fucking good. I actually, too, I remember leaving the theater the first time I saw it. And I kind of thought Hela was like a little bit of a stock villain. Like, she just kind of like, I'm here to take over Asgard. But it ended, I ended up reading a review somewhere. I don't remember where. And they talked about how her character is actually like a stand-in for colonialism. Oh, I see that. Yeah. How like she helped Odin like conquer all of these worlds. She even says, I mean, ironically, she's like, I'm going to make Asgard great again. 
And <laughs> I never even caught that. Yeah, like, but it's just funny because, like, you know, she, they're essentially, like, treating, you know, uh, Asgard more here as, like, a colonial empire. Yeah, with, like, a questionable past. Right. Like, you and didn't so, just become great. Yeah, you know, we did a lot of bad, like, she even says to Thor when he, like, walks up to the throne, she's like, where the hell did, like, where did you think all this gold came from? You know, and you realize that, like, Howard you know, Zim, is Howard Zim version of Asgard back then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, I don't know. To me, it, like there, there were a lot of elements in the film that I was like, "Man, this movie actually is really good." You brought up the film, and I'll throw it over to you. What is your favorite scene Ooh. in that movie? Uh, when he fights Hulk. That is. That's, I'm always well. There's two parts I love. I love the opening because it's classic Thor and he whoops ass with Led Zeppelin playing. No, three parts. That part, <laughs> so that part, the the whole. You mean the part once he gets the hammer back and, and he just like slams the guy at the very beginning. And then it's just a great fun opener that establishes a character that you've never watched before in the movie before. And, and I will say this: there's a shot with I don't know if it's like a dragon or whatever the fuck it is, like falling him as yeah. he's flying, yeah. and like there's silhouettes against like this orange sky. I was like, damn, that looks really it's just, dope. It's visually gorgeous. Yeah, too. I was like, that looks amazing. Yeah, like I almost feel bad like people don't give it the credit it deserves because it visually, cinematically, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, like there's that scene, it's like a real famous art style when they have the when Loki um, touches the Valkyrie. What's her name? Oh yeah. There does there's that flashback. I guess they just call it Valkyrie. And um, there's that flashback, and it's all like a high frame rate, super slow mo. It's like it looks like a painting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't I don't remember the style. Like there's a very specific name for it, but it's just gorgeous. It's like a, a moving painting. Yeah. Of it's, showing it's cool. showing that scene. And that so that alone is gorgeous. Um, yeah, I'm like, there's so many. Well, so awesome you said the opening, the opening scene when he opening, gets the hammer. the Hulk fight, and then at the end when on the Rainbow Bridge, on the Rainbow Bridge, where it's playing Zeppelin, and yeah, he doesn't have a hammer anymore. Yeah, but but what's funny is I think one why it's so fun and watchable. Like every scene is great for the most part. Well, it, you know, like that's been Stanley's cameo. He's the one who gets to trim oh, yeah. his hair. Yeah. Well, and the relationship right, between Thor and Loki is it, it's always been one of the best in the MCU, and they really, I mean, you get a lot of it. Yeah, and I, I mean, it was cool that I know, you know, the Hulk's probably, at least through Endgame, it didn't end up getting another film, but that was supposed to be part of Planet Hulk, too, right? The comic storyline, which I, I guess it is pretty close, because they do go to Sakaar or whatever it is. And it's the most also, like, Jack Kirby designed and whatnot. Like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was just amazing. Now I kind of want to watch it. I mean... So this was a, an observation. My, my roommate and myself, we watch it all the time, like, with queues up, and um, I heard someone else talking about Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a good, it's a good movie to watch. It's a lot of fun, and in many ways, it I think it kind of shows it, it captures that essence of what we love about comics. Mm. Yeah, totally. Right, like it never takes itself too seriously, despite the fact that like the movie's about dark themes and genocide and imperial Rome and damn and right. Yet it's such an awesome action comedy. Like it's just great, but it's makes it fun. And but it's got yeah some incredibly dark elements in it when you really think about it. I think what the line he says, and almost every time it's kind of goofy, Thor says, like, that's what heroes do. That's what heroes yeah. do. And he throws the ball. And yeah, and, like, it hits him, or, like, something, something happens to him, and he's like, oh, shit. It's kind of like a recurring theme of, like, they're almost, you know, hey, we're all, this is the god of thunder, or the lord of thunder, you know, and then they get the ball slammed <laughs> into his face, and you're like, yeah, you gotta help, you can't help but, like, just enjoy the fun of it all. <laughs> oh, so. man. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's definitely a good movie. I would, I don't know if I'd say it's the best Marvel one. 
but I'll definitely gonna, put it in my top five. Yeah, it's up there. I'm gonna play that score on our way home. You should because it's a good one. It's so good. And oh, we didn't even. Jeff Goldblum was great. Yeah, just being, oh my God. Just being Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> what does he say? He's like, when he hits the guy with the death stick. You are officially pardoned. From mine. From mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I even love the scene with Doctor Strange, which is kind of, when I first saw it, it, was, it felt very out of place. It's a great interaction between two characters that really never interact at all in the MCU. And Loki's funny in it. Thor is great in it. Yeah. Oh, Chris Hemworth, when, when he, um, again, the whole physical comedy, too, not just having to live in the mud, but, like, there's that ornate statue set up with a ton of it, and he, like, touches it or does something, oh, yeah, and it just like... totally collapses. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a little bitty example of you know talent when it comes to physical comedy. Like that reminds me of Chevy Chase where Chevy Chase can do any of those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a good example. And Chevy yeah. Chase's thriller was a hell of a lot better than that. Something like that actually happened. I, I think it's actually what's it, the brother-in-law in Christmas Vacation, but like he has like a tree thing and like touches oh. it and it like. <laughs> Uh, cousin Eddie? Yeah, Cousin Eddie. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, Chevy Chase tries to, like, put it back together, and it falls apart again on him. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty All right, guys. Well, um, Aaron, any last-second uh, advice or, or any plugs you got to make that you got to give shout a shout-out out to? That, for you guys for having me on. For yeah, we really appreciate it, yeah. yeah. Like we said, you know, the goal is really just to reach out to people in the industry. We want to hear the stories, get the advice, things i always talk about it from you know my midwest background is like when i was growing up i had big dreams but the stories that i heard were from spielberg or from you know these big guys and i was like yeah i'm not gonna be able to sneak on to you know the lot so having hearing from people who tell us like hey here's how to get on set as a pa here's how to take this job and help it get to your next job here's what not to do yeah here's how you get a film into a film festival you know it, it's so valuable. We just really appreciate your insight and your stories. Thank you. How can any projects coming out in the short future that you want to promote, and how can our audience hit you up on social media? Connect. Because um, I'm sure they got questions over there in uh, Lincoln Hall and the Lincoln Bar Office. Um, I mean, I'm still... You post to Instagram. Yeah. Um, I see your post. I'm not, I'm not an expert in that. Like, yeah, you, I could do a much better job at that. Like, I'm not at a marketing launch level right now where I'm just okay like, but they can going. theoretically find you on yeah Instagram. you can find me can there's find not many Aaron, there's like 16 Aaron Makers in the world per, <laughs> per Facebook so I'm the one in the community for sure yeah I don't, the side note I don't know if this is good or bad but like if you google my name Dustin Garbasiak mm. I am the only one oh nice comes up. so it's nice but it's also like if there's anything out there it's easy to find nice thank you for not actually giving an answer to what you have on social media <laughs> Be like, ah, might be able to find me, but no, I don't know. There's stuff out there. I'm out there. If you really want to find me, you'll find me. We'll post links (laughs) to Aaron so you can. It it won't be that hard because all you have to do is contact me at Big Kid D Man or me at Indie Cow Five, and we'll we'll connect. And our stuff's the same across social. I don't think Aaron's is. Yeah, we'll we'll connect the dots. On that note, dude, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Obviously, we'll definitely have you back on. Tell us more stories about all these projects that you're working on that you're not allowed to talk about because of NDAs. <laughs> awesome. Aaron, thanks for coming on. All right. To all of our listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. Really hope you hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know if you have thoughts or questions or shoot opinions, comments on social media. And uh, we'll be back again for another episode. See you next time.